Welcome to Late of the Rings, a podcast dedicated to Lord of the Rings, the card game. My name's John, and here's my co-host. One small bite is enough to fill the stomach of a grown man. It's Emery. <laughs> Hello, John. Oh, I, I didn't know where I was going with that one. <laughs> I'm glad people only need a small bite. <laughs> just, just a taste. Just a nibble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh. oh, anyway, sorry. How are you? I'm very well, sir. I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You've been up to anything interesting? Um, so yet again, here, yeah, <laughs> it's that time of the week. <laughs> so here in the UK, we've got slightly more. It's it's a complete mess. So we're still in the uh, in the lockdown. So it was kind of getting a bit better, and well, I say better in terms of a bit looser in terms of what restrictions, what you can do, what you can't do. And then I think um, our leader, Boris, decided that actually, I think that this coronavirus is actually fairly serious. <laughs> oh, so so let's start doing something. <laughs> so, so that's like wearing face masks and things like this. So it's weird. In some ways, they're getting looser. In some ways, they're sort of getting tighter. And I don't know. And where are you falling into the spectrum? Are you looser or tighter? Well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many ways you go. I, I, I am actually being fairly cautious. I think being responsible, waiting for the dust to settle, and then taking it from there. Very wise. So yeah, that's. Uh, so you haven't done any. So, so you haven't. Done, so you just decided then. Oh, in that case, nothing for me. Back to staring at the yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been staring at wall. I've been staring at a wall with a television in front of it as well. And been doing a fair bit of that. Anything nice on? Um, I have been re-watching Twin Peaks. Oh, very nice. And it's been an absolutely wonderful experience yet again. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, well, oh. That's, but that's, I mean, it's a whole different thing. But <laughs> You and I could do a whole other podcast about Twin Peaks, but uh, as we struggle enough to get this one done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very late off the peaks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another one. <laughs> No, we'll 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 have to put that one on hold for the time being. Maybe twenty or thirty years. I'll see you again in twenty years. Yeah, twenty. <laughs> oh, it's twenty-five years. Yeah. See, you need to do your revision first, and then oh. and then we can do it. Yeah. Yeah, we're not ready. No, no. <laughs> and uh, how about your good self? What have you been up to? Um. Yeah. I've got... you've, been doing, you've been doing some work in the garden, haven't you? I think I saw a photo. Where or was that? Was was that a while back? Who's been taking photos of me in the garden? Oh, sorry, I wasn't meant to tell you that. Apologies. <laughs> forget it. Forget it. Edit it out. Um, uh, yeah, I have done. I think I'm not too sure when. Yeah, I did do some, but um, yeah, I'm I'm no Samwise Gamgee. I am not that great in the garden, <laughs> to say the least. And you haven't been dropping no eaves either. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, maybe one or two. <laughs> um, what have I done? I did. I have, okay. This is gonna, you're going to wonder where this is going. I've started digitizing all of my old DVDs and Blu-rays. I want to get everything digital, and it's a hell of an undertaking, as you can imagine. Now, that aside, do do we need to explain what a DVD is to some of our younger <laughs> listeners? Or, or no, that's 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 they can look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, well, I have a tendency throughout my history of life to. How can I say it? I tend to back the underdog. Or another way of looking at it would be I invest in 
uh, formats which become obsolete. Oh, you see, yeah. I was going to say, is, is this a Betamax mini disc conversation? <laughs> yeah. So I, I did have a mini disc. I love my mini disc, by the way. Um, but when the HD revolution came along for uh, for films, I jumped down the route of the HD DVD. Nobody did that. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I'll take it back. Somebody did. Um, and, and I thought it was great. No, actually, the reason I did is because um, uh, I had an Xbox at the time, well, I still do, and uh, Microsoft released a relatively cheap peripheral which would play HD DVDs. And this was great. And I, saw, I bought it and I, I loved watching uh, HD movies. So I, I actually invested quite a lot in HD DVDs, which, you know, turned out to be a big mistake. So I've spent the best part of two days getting this peripheral, which I still own because, you know, I can't throw anything away, to work on my PC. Oh, right. I thought you were going to just digitize the HD DVDs. Oh, no. I, I, yes. Oh, was, oh was that That's my for? intention. Ah, oh, okay. I thought it was to play them. Right? Well, how, my friend, am I going to digitize it if I have nothing that can read it? So that's why I've had to get this device. <laughs> to work on my pc so what's it called what's the device called an hd dvd player what do you think it's called (laughs) (laughs) i thought it's like some some special thing it's like i had to get this device but it actually is just an hd dvd player (laughs) okay um so that's been that's been taking a lot of my time but I, i think i might have it working but you know Where's the fun of just digitizing stuff when you could first of all do some uh, troubleshooting on an, on a twenty year old bit of tech? No, it can't be that old. Fifteen year old bit of tech. God, don't say that. It still seems kind of new to me. <laughs> I am not an early adopter, though. Um, that's not really my my thing. I wait for others to dip their toe first yeah. before I then choose incorrectly. <laughs> Once all the evidence is presented. Well, yeah, but you'd come to me and you'd say, which one should you go for? And I, and I would say, well, I've gone for HD DVD and I love it. And I, I can't, I mean, there are people out there that might say that Blu-ray's going to win, but no. <laughs> I love the way that both, I mean, <laughs> who's using Blu-rays? <laughs> so no one buys Blu-rays anymore. <laughs> We're still having that battle. We're still, still, have you still got, you've still got to be in your bonnet about Betamax, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah everyone who had Betamax always insisted it was better than VHS <laughs> even though it clearly wasn't well they were both clearly rubbish weren't they oh, I love the old VHS well no look don't get me wrong but if you look at <laughs> if you they were. if you try and watch one now you'd think what on earth how on earth did our eyes cope with this <laughs> there's something romantic about it it's like um you know the last few years has been a revival of cassettes uh, audio cassettes. Oh no, it's terrible. And it's like, yeah. So, I, I, in t- if you want to produce something physical, mm-hmm. it's a really cheap way to do it. At least it was when tapes were, were, you know, prevalent. And I still maintain the greatest musical gift anyone can receive is a mixtape. Oh yeah, an actual tape. And somebody's taken time to do the cover and write the track list or whatever it is. That's just a glorious gift, right there. Taking the time to make it. It's not the same as. You can't give someone a Spotify playlist for their birthday, can you? Oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> Other music streaming services are available. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't use any of them anyway, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Although we are hosted on Spotify, so yeah. Oh, yeah, so obviously it's great. Sorry. 
<laughs> I haven't got my head around this. <laughs> yeah. But we are also hosted on other services. Oh my god, I'm going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So let's let me just say this. So streaming's great for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> risk of being a massive hypocrite okay <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i don't know yeah so that's what i've been doing i've been i've been doing more tinkering more tinkering with technology and computers and with the idea that eventually i'll start working through all this physical media and making it uh digital so i can not that i've got time to watch any of it just in time for the digital thing to be replaced by <laughs> something else injections <laughs> <laughs> um all right so should, should we get on with the show oh yeah yeah let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry to jog your mind <laughs> i just thought we were having a chat you know <laughs> in a way we are and if people choose to listen then uh more fool them um so this week on the show, it's a non-spoilery episode, so no worries there for anyone who's uh, trying to avoid spoilers. Today we are going to be looking at some player cards from the first cycle. And we're going to look at all the player cards from the tactics sphere in that entire cycle. So it's I think it's 12 cards in total. So if you are opening up your packs progressively, then yes, we will be talking about cards that you may not have seen yet. But the whole idea is that there are a lot of cards in this set which work together, so... Is what we mentioned before. This is why we've chosen to discuss it in this way. So, without further ado, should we jump right in? Let's jump in. Alrighty. Well, as I say, there are 12 cards in total, and it's a, it's a, it's a good mixture of allies and attachments and events, as usual. Um, I think, in keeping with last week's episode, we should start with an ally, and it's the Burning Beekeeper. I don't know if he's warmongering or not. No, he's clearly not. Look at him. You can trust this guy. <laughs> He's a peacekeeping beekeeper, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Proper. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the Burning Beekeeper is an ally in the tactics sphere, and he has a cost of four. He has willpower of one. He hits for two. He has defense of one, and he has three hit points. He is a Burning, not a surprise. And he has an action. It says, discard Burning Beekeeper from play to deal one damage to each enemy in the staging area. Okay. What do we think about this guy? I must admit, I don't think I've really ever put him in a deck. There go spoilers for the end of (laughs) my comments on this guy. (laughs) (laughs) This is someone who I have only recently played in a couple of decks, actually. Oh, well, you'll have some more, uh, more experience with it than me, then. Yeah, I mean, again, not a great deal. I've only probably played sort of three or four games with him in, in my deck. He's quite expensive. So, obviously, a cost of four. And when you look at, it, at his cost and you look at his stats, they're not brilliant. I mean, he's, he's pretty decent. You know, he's got three hit points and he hits for two. So, he's not, um, you know, he's still handy. But his action uh, can be quite handy if you do have a fair few enemies in the staging area. Yeah, but like you say, he costs four and then you're going to discard him? That seems very expensive. Exactly. So you, 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 if you want to get the most utility, I guess, out of this card, you want to do that just when he's on the verge of <laughs> the verge of uh, being an XB keeper, I think. <laughs> but what thematically, what's going on then? Do you think he's uh, almost dying, and then and then you get rid of him, and he just goes on a berserker attack and sort of knocks uh, each enemy on the head? 
in the distance? Well, or do you know what I think it is? Is it the bees? Yeah. Well, you know, is it? I'm not sure if it's a fallacy, but something we've always been told since we were children, which is that if you if, when a bee stings, that's basically the end of their life. They will shortly die thereafter. Like like a, a bee will will sting as a very last resort. Um, now I'm not sure if that's true. I think that's definitely true for certain bees, and um, and I think it's more grim than that. To be honest, I think because some bees stingers, technical term, have a little hook on it, so they sting oh. so that the animal or human humans are also animals. Uh, other animals are available. Um, can't release the bee, can't swat it away. So it really can sting to its full potential. But then the problem is that when it flies away, it rips itself in two. Really? What kind of bee is that? <laughs> I don't want to see that bee. It's uh, Stephen King's bee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you read that book when you were 12. But then it wasn't a textbook, John. Yeah, so I, so I, I think you know, so it's every enemy in a staging area. I wonder if it's some last resort. The bees just going to sting everyone. I would like to point one thing out as well on this card, which is he's a bionic, right? So he's massive. He's a big guy. Yeah, and look how big those bees are. Yeah, next to him. That's true. These are mahusive bees. <laughs> they are, but and, uh, but weirdly, you're going to feel it if you get stung by one of these guys. Weirdly, the hives are quite sort of normal size. He's picking up like a hive with one hand, which of course, because he's massive, so there can't be many bees living in each hive. That is, uh, that is quite some shared living they've got going on there. You're right. Yeah, but I think there are many of them. This is like. The council estate for bees, <laughs> I guess. Or, or, no, not council estate. Was a uh, like a block of flats actually more than a council estate, isn't it? <laughs> it's not like some big mansion they're all in. No, everyone's got their own little space. <laughs> um, That's a terrible analogy. It should never be blocks of flats and Lord of Rings should never. <laughs> <laughs> come together in the same sentence i think i think that's that's a takeaway from that particular comment but yeah i've not used him an awful lot and i'm not sure how much i would use him in the future he's too expensive for his stats and it, like, like i said the his action doesn't balance that for me you know sometimes you get expensive guys for their stats but their action is so impressive that you go yeah okay i'll pay it but uh this one Maybe you have to wait. I don't I have no idea whether this is coming, but perhaps at some stage in the future there'll be some things that can happen with burnings in general that it might be well, maybe useful. I don't know. Yeah, maybe you could try and make a, a sort of bayoning deck. I mean, there aren't that <laughs> many cards. <laughs> with two cards. <laughs> I think there's three, isn't there? <laughs> well, you've got Bayon. Yeah. Well, we spoke about Grimbion. Oh, the old. Grimbion. Yeah, no, he's not. But he's, he's in the... Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you <laughs> could, you could make a bailing specific deck for one specific quest. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Let's not do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's move on from that. Now, you might question why I'm going to do this, but I want to jump to an attachment, and it's not even related. But I'm going to jump to the song of mocking. It's a one cost attachment. It's a song, and it says this: attached to a hero, action. Exhaust Song of Mocking to choose another hero. Until the end of the phase, attached hero takes all damage assigned to the chosen hero. Now, the reason I jumped to this is because I've also never played this one. So, over to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played it either. 
I haven't. I thought about it, and actually, I like the mechanics of it. It's like uh, distracting uh, the foe at the last minute. It's like when, um, in the film, anyway, where Merry and Pippin say to New York, "Hey, you over here!" When Frodo's trying to get to the boat. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so instead of getting Frodo, they chase after him. They're mocking them. It's like no, 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 no. <laughs> they come chasing, chasing you instead. Um, so that's that, that's that's the theme of this. I've, uh, think i've just thought of a very john way of using this card Uh oh <laughs> what if i put it in my deck and attach it to one of your heroes <laughs> then i'll say oh, oh, God. <laughs> no he's never thought of a use for the song of mocking <laughs> until until <laughs> This has gone from zero to hero for you in an instant once you had that thought, hasn't it? I mean, you wouldn't be forced to exhaust it, of course, but I could be like, oh, I'm about to take a hit. You couldn't just exhaust Song of Mocking for me, could you? No, but you would do it yourself. No, because as soon as I put it onto your hero, you would be the controller of it. Yeah, but it says exhaust Song of Mocking to choose another hero. So let's say this is your card, you put it on your hero, you exhaust him. And you choose my hero until the end of the phase. Oh no, it's that way around. So yeah. you're the one singing the song. Yes, that's right. So you can't. So this isn't a way just to spread your damage onto me. <laughs> this is a way for you to heroically accept the damage on my behalf. So yet again, it has no use for you. <laughs> yeah, it's gone back in the bin. It's, it's more my kind of card. <laughs> it's gone back. But, if I attach it to your hero, and uh, you know, I don't know, and then, but then I have to exhaust, it. and then I, I go, oh, please exhaust it, otherwise I'm going to die. And you'll go, well, why did you defend with him then? And I'll go, well, I kind of thought you would exhaust Song of Mocking for me. It is a team game, yeah. But actually, well, that is a, that's a very useful, you know, you know in, in all seriousness, you know, that's a, that could actually be a very useful card two player, can it? Or even one player, really, but especially two player, that could be, yeah. You know, you've got somebody who's uh, got plenty of shield or plenty of hit points left and others who haven't. It is a good way to transfer damage, basically, isn't it? Let me think this through. That's what it's for. It transfers damage from one to another yeah. after they defend. That, that's what it does. So it, it does have use, I think. So let's think. It's an action. So it has to happen in an action window. Exhaust Song of Mocking to choose another hero until the end of the phase. Attached hero takes all the damage assigned to the chosen hero. So basically... So if I attach... You could... You can defend. So, no, if you were defending with someone and you got a nasty shadow effect that was going to kill your defender, I could, as long as it was a hero, not an ally. It has to be a hero. Yeah. I could then exhaust Song of Mocking and then soak up your damage because I could use that action window, that, that action window which I talked about before, which is after the shadow card is revealed, but before the damage tokens hit your guy. Yeah. I could then exhaust Song of Mocking. And what you could also use it for is if you defend with one hero, one attack, you've got another hero, you defend with him, the other heroes, let's say, got one hit point left, but it's got a couple of shield, and through some shell, whatever, that, that hero would actually be killed, you can use this to transfer the damage onto your other guy. So you effectively get the same person to do two defences in one. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can protect somebody who's going to... You couldn't really get them to do two defences in well, one. Well, you'd use the other one's shield value but then the damage would go onto your other hero right so so if one hero's got more hit points available you could use that to transfer that damage yeah i think 
Yeah, I, I see what you mean. But I think you could, the way to do it would be, you know, if you're really in trouble and you really need this one hero to be attacking, yet you're overrun with enemies, you could, as long as you had Song of Mocking on that attacking hero, or potentially attacking hero, you could then take a defense with a guy that would maybe die, exhaust Song of Mocking, take the damage onto the guy who is ready so that he doesn't have to exhaust, so he's ready to attack. God. You could do it that way as well. Well, well, yeah, you could do it that way too. Yeah. It's, basi- it's basically... It only costs one. You know, it, I think I think this card could actually be quite useful now we've discussed it. <laughs> uh, do you know what we'll have to do, to be honest? We're going to have to play, it, <laughs> play a game using it. I'll put it in my banning deck. Yeah, exactly. Now you're up to three cards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You don't want to get mocked by a banning, though. No, no. <laughs> you know. That's going to be the warmongering kind. But peacekeeping ones don't mock. No. You know, they have a sense of humour, but you know, they don't cross that mockery line. <laughs> um, well, okay. So that's um, the Bailing Beekeeper and the Song of Mocking. Now, another reason to do those two first is that all the rest of the cards in Tactics in the first cycle kind of all group together, which is, again, one of the reasons why we wanted to discuss these as full cycles of cards rather than just individual releases. Um, And, uh, yeah, it doesn't take long to see the theme because, as we alluded to last episode, the eagles are coming. And here they are. (laughs) And here they are. Um, okay, so let's jump back to the allies. Let's go for another four-cost ally, because we stated that we thought the Bounding Beekeeper was a bit too expensive for his stats. So we'll go for another four-cost one, and we'll compare and contrast. And I'd like to see your workings, please. This is an ally. It's an eagle. It's a creature. And he's called the Descendant of Thorondor. He costs four. He has one willpower. He hits for two. He has one defense. And he has two hit points. So, immediately, he's worse than the Bayonning Beekeeper. His stats are identical, apart from he has one fewer hit point. So let's have a look at his special ability or his actions. Let's see if he's worth playing or not. So, Descendant of Thorondor cannot have restricted attachments. Okay, so there's already a restriction there. And that's, a, that's obviously going to be a recurring theme with, with eagles. Because you can't put like a citadel plate on one, really. <laughs> Give it a sword. <laughs> I would like to try and squeeze an eagle into a citadel plate. <laughs> Just the wings poking out the side. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> um, but he does have a response. After Descendant of Thorondor enters or leaves play, deal two damage to any one enemy in the staging area. Okay, so. Actually, it's relatively a similar effect to the Bounding Beekeeper, apart from he does it when he comes into play and when he leaves play. And it's two damage and it's only one enemy. So it's it's dealing damage. It's not that similar after all. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It, it's, it's, dealing, it's, it's dealing damage in the staging area. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and there aren't many cards that do that. No, that's true. But this is great. I mean, two damage on your way in and on your way out. That's pretty powerful, actually. Yeah, I actually think, contrary to what I was saying about banning Beekeeper costing four and not being worth it, I actually think this guy is worth it because, 
Mainly because he's an eagle. Mainly because he's an eagle. And, <laughs> um, and I have a big soft spot for the artwork as well. There's Gandalf there. I was going to say, this is one of my favourite bits of artwork we've come across in the whole game so far. Oh, it is stunning. I absolutely love this. It's, uh, it's just, I mean, it's a massive eagle being stroked and talked to by a wizard on a mountain. I mean, what's not to love about that? And it's snowing. Oh, it's just great. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just a fantastic bit of artwork that absolutely nailed it. Top notch. But before we go too in-depth about the response and whether or not we think it's worth it and how we can use it, do you, uh, this is my this is my normal uh, Tolkien pop quiz. Do you know who Thorondor was? Uh, Thorondor was an eagle. Correct. <laughs> 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 Unless we, uh, it was an educated guess. I'm not gonna lie. Um, unless Tolkien was really went down the whole kind of evolutionary biology route there. But you know, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm guessing was this something in the Hobbit or was it in like the no, Silmarillion? It's, it's Silmarillion. It's it's old again, and um, I, it's um, in the same sort of way. I think that Ungoliant was the sort of uh, the main spider entity that gave birth to all of the spiders of middle earth i oh, see it's been a long time since i've read any sort of first age stuff but i think thorondor was the first king of the eagles he probably had a better name than that i mean how there aren't many better names than the king of the eagles <laughs> the lowly king of the eagles <laughs> um so, yeah, so this guy is a descendant of Thorondor. But I actually think that... All eagles are. All the great eagles were descendants of Thorondor. Maybe this guy's in that kind of, I don't know, pure lineage or something. Blue blood. Blue well, blood eagle. Gwahir. Gwahir? Yeah, Gwahir. Um, he is in the true lineage of it. I, I know that. And also another eagle, which we're going to talk about in a minute, which is Gwahir's brother. I do know way too much about eagles, by the way. But not... Uh, not actually eagles, just Middle Earth ones. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, you know, I could be doing better things with my time. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, li- I like the way also you said, it's been a long time since I read First Age stuff. Like you've got a, an ancient tome of <laughs> dusty old things with First Age on the side. Oh, I must uh, read up on my First Age. I'll be really focused on the Second and Third Ages recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's have a look at this card. What do we like about it? Let's see. So, okay, so it can't have restricted attachments. We know that, and that kind of makes sense for exactly the reasons you say. Stats-wise, sure. Good attacker. Pretty good for attacking, yeah. I mean, and you can quest with him at a pinch. You know, it's an extra point. I probably wouldn't go down the defensive route unless... Unless you need to do the... Descendant of Thorondor bomb, I guess. Exactly. Unless you're thinking of getting rid of him, letting him soak up attack, maybe it kills him, and if he leaves, you can deal the two damage. So, just a reminder, response, after Descendant of Thorondor enters or leaves play, deal two damage to any one enemy in the staging area. So, yeah, I mean, if you sneak attack this guy in, wow, great. Two on the way in, two on the way out, and a bit of business whilst he's hanging around. (laughs) A bit of business. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a very powerful way to use him. I don't, I just realised that for some reason I remembered this guy being unique, but he's not. No. So you can have three of these. You can. Um, there is a unique descendant of Thorodor, 
I perhaps we'll jump straight to him because I've mentioned him a couple of times. And that's, um, oh, let's, do you want to talk about him a bit more? I mean, it's a bit tricky with these Eagles because a lot of them work together. So in a way, we kind of need to go through them and then go, well, we can use him with him. And that works with that. So should I jump on? Yeah, let's jump to, uh, yeah, yeah. Move on then and we can always circle back. And, if, and that is very much the nature, I think, of these cards once you start uh, using them in, in the game as well, actually, isn't it? Lots of cyclical play and in, ins and outs and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, but with that in mind, then, before we go to the direct descendants of Thorondor, I want to just touch on possibly one of my favorite allies in the game to this point, And that is the Eagles of the Misty Mountains. Uh, again, four cost, so, you know, pretty expensive, but... As we've already seen, a lot of tactics uh, cards are expensive, so you do need to find a way to pay for these. You know, maybe teaming up your tactics with leadership is a classic combination because leadership can generate the resources you need to pay for those tactics cards. Um, but that aside, Eagles of the Misty Mountains, cost of four, wonderful stats here. Willpower of two, attack of two, defense of two, and four hit points. Oh my god. So well rounded. How great is that for four? I, I just think it's amazing. But then it gets even better. So obviously it's a creature and an eagle, and it has this constant effect. First of all, it says eagles of the Misty Mountains cannot have restricted attachments. That we knew was coming. But then it says eagles of the Misty Mountains gets plus one attack and plus one defense for each face-down attachment it has. Okay, sounds pretty good. But how does it get these face-down attachments? And then it says response. After another eagle character leaves play, you may attach that card face down to the Eagles of the Misty Mountains. So, now we can start to see how you can really get things working. So let's say you do sneak attack the Descendant of Thorador in. You sneak attack this guy in, so sneak attack costs you one. Descendant of Thorador comes in, does two damage, does his business. <laughs> he leaves... You do another two damage. If you're thinking, uh, I'm not really going to be able to afford to get this guy out, but you've already got the Eagles of the Misty Mountains on the table, when he leaves, you can attach him face down to the Eagles of the Misty Mountains. Suddenly, those Eagles are hitting for three and defending for three. And that's just incredible. For the cost of one, you've, you're basically building yourself a super ally here. Yeah, totally. And again, I love, love this mechanic. This is great. This is this is all the eagles in total. So you can play them in and out of your hand, etc. But in the end, if you like, you said you can't afford to anymore, or you, or you just want them to join this band of eagles, <laughs> then you just whack them on there. Yeah, and yeah, and very quickly. I mean, you just think just one more eagle, and you've got you're hitting for four, and you're defending for four. Yeah, one more you're hitting for five, defending for five. You say it's not many cards you need to suddenly this guy. Is well, it's not what is it like this guy, but this group of eagles, we should say, yeah, is immensely powerful. I think with this one, you want to try and get it out early if you can, and you want to obviously protect it early as well because you don't want to be get it out and play and then lose it straight away, even though it has got it's got four hit points, so it's pretty tasty. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, get this guy on the board as soon as possible, and then if you can, chuck out some of the cheaper eagle allies and then just let them go again. Um, so, yep, you heard me right. There are some cheap allies in the tactics sphere. So we have a couple to talk about here. Um, do you want to just pick one and go for it? I think you know, you know who we're talking about. 
So, well, yeah, let's let's go for cheapest one then. It only costs one, and that's the Vassal of the Windlord. So it's a creature, an eagle, of course. No willpower, hits for three, no shield, only one hit point. So you can see straight away where this guy's <laughs> strength lies. Oh, I can see straight away, because he's attacking a pack of wargs. Which, to you, must be very pleasing indeed. <laughs> you're, not, you're not a warg guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely more a cat an eagle guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Vassal of the Windlord is ranged. Cannot have restricted attachments as, as all the others. Uh, and it's got a forced effect. After an attack in which Vassal of Windlord attacked resolves, discard Vassal of the Windlord from play. So straight away, there you can see, okay, you can bring him in for one. He can hit for free in one attack. And then you get rid of him. So this one is perfect if you've, if you've got Eagles of the Misty Mountains out there. So it only cost you one. He's going to hit big one time. And then he's going to go on Eagles of the Misty Mountains to give you plus one attack, plus one defense. Super powerful straight away. That's just, yeah. You know, you want to utilize these guys, hopefully all three of them, only cost you one each time, and on they go. Yeah, I love it. Super cheap, super powerful for an attacker. And then, like I say, if you've got the Eagles of the Misty Mountains out, Boom, there you go. You know, he it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah. That's like that. What do you call a group of eagles? Is it? It's not a flock, surely. It must be a more grandiose. What's an eerie? That's where the eagles That's live. That's where they live. Um, uh, I think I knew the collective noun for eagles, but I've forgotten. Why wouldn't it be a flock? It's just too common. Because that's seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as we know, seagulls are in the spirit sphere, and we'll be coming to them next. <laughs> yes, seagulls. The mighty seagulls of Middle Earth. You say a grander name than King of the Eagles, <laughs> the Duke of the Seagulls. <laughs> Stephen. Stephen, the Duke of the Seagulls. Actually, we shouldn't, possibly shouldn't go on about eagles versus seagulls, just in case we've got. Crystal Palace and Brighton Hove Albion fans <laughs> listening to this podcast. And anyone who doesn't know who plays two football teams isn't going to have a clue what we're talking about there. <laughs> but one's the Eagles and one's the Seagulls and they don't like each other. <laughs> well, also well, for our American listeners, there's the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, I want to say. American football. And I'm sure there's some Seagulls out there. Well, there's... Well, Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Seattle Seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to, uh, <laughs> I don't think our, our, <laughs> apologies to our listenership in the great state of Washington. <laughs> I think a seahawk is slightly better than a seagull. <laughs> Seattle seagulls. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so that's the Battle of the Windlord. Yeah, it pretty much does what it says, doesn't it? And it's and it's great at what it does. But uh, I don't think there's too much more to say about it. Get it out. Hit something. Yeah. And then, if you can, get it under the Eagles of the Misty Mountains. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and there's another one. This one costs two, and it's the Winged Guardian. Again, it's a creature. It's an eagle. It has no willpower. It has no attack, but it has four defense and one hit point. Four defense, very strong. And this one is Sentinel. Cannot have restrict attachments. And again, its forced effect is after an attack in which Winged Guardian defends, resolves... Um, pay one resource, one tactics resource, or discard Wing Guardian from play. So this is very similar to the Vassal of Windlord, apart from this is more focused obviously on defense rather than attack. 
but it costs one more. He's got one more defense. Ben Vassilov or Windlord has attack, but also it does give you that option to keep the Wingardian in play if you do spend that extra resource. So you can sort of keep this guy out, but yet again, if you decide not to, again, we'll go on to the Eagles of the Misty Mountains if you have that card out. Yeah, what I tend to do is I play this guy a lot because he is such a strong defender and I tend to just keep him around if I've got the spare resources until the Eagles and the Misty Mountain comes out and then I just let him go. Because then it shouldn't take long to get another couple of cards under the Eagles and then you've already got a defender of four anyway. So no point spending your uh, resources on him. Yeah. So you can see all the ways these guys are interacting with each other. And there's one more ally. Uh, Maybe you should... uh... Read this one. I think that this one's close to your heart as well. Well, this so. is the one I was going to go to immediately, and then we got sidetracked by the Eagles of the Misty Mountains, so I apologise. It's not like us to go off on a tangent. I don't even know what a tangent is. <laughs> Shall we look it up quickly? Yeah, let's quickly look. Let's go over it quickly. <laughs> um, okay, so this is Landreval, and he is the only named eagle so he um he's unique so therefore you you can only play one of these guys out he is expensive we've gone from the cheapest to the most expensive this guy costs a gandalf oh sorry this guy costs five (laughs) (laughs) so i'm already a bit skeptical as you might well guess Uh, he has one willpower he hits for three very nice defense for one and he has four hit points so he's pretty tidy He's a creature and an eagle. He also has Sentinel, which is not as useful as the Wing Guardian Sentinel because the Wing Guardian, of course, defends for four. Uh, defending for one as Sentinel, yeah, in a pinch, he's got four hit points, might come in handy. But he has a response. After a hero card is destroyed, return Landreville to his owner's hand to put that hero back into play with one damage token on it. Limit once per game. Oh boy, that's powerful. This is everything that Brock Iron Fist was meant to be. <laughs> if Brock Iron Fist was reincarnated as an eagle, he'd be Landreval. But of course, he's not going to be reincarnated because he's never going to be played, so therefore he's never going to die. <laughs> I've played Brock. Now let's have that conversation elsewhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you keep that to your Brock Appreciation Society. <laughs> My Brock deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this guy, I mean, so powerful. Of course, you know, you just brings your hero back, saves your hero. Yeah, uh, basically from from peril. Thematically, this guy is coming in. He's sweeping in. He's picking up your hero just before the death blow hits, taking him to safety. Therefore, bringing him back. I mean, fair enough. He disappears afterwards, um, but only back to your hand. Doesn't even get discarded. So if you happen to be rich, you could just play this guy out again. I mean, bear in mind his effect wouldn't happen a second time. But you don't even lose him. Personally, I would probably be putting him under the Eagles of the Misty Mountain because, you know, getting another five resource to play him out and the effect's already done yeah, seems a little counterproductive to me. But uh, I guess the other thing to watch out for with Eagles Talons! Is... The Talons! Well, yeah. <laughs> well, in fact, if you look at this guy's... On the artwork on Landreval, I think that artwork is from the moment where he does save you. Hmm. You're just about to cock and you look up and that's what you see. Oh, thank God. Don't worry, buddy. Here I am. I've got you. <laughs> so Landreville, by the way, that is Guahir's brother, I believe. 
And they are direct descendants of Thorondor. There you go. Eagle lessons are over. Okay. Well, not quite, because I'm now desperately trying to remember which one Guahir is. Oh, Guahir is the one who... Uh, that, that's basically Gandalf's buddy. He's the one who rescues Gandalf from Orthanc. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's Guahir. Okay, cool. It's one summoned by that really nifty little little bug. <laughs> butterfly kind of what, what is that thing this is a moth it's a kind moth. of thing it's a moth is it just a massive moth <laughs> it's pretty big yeah well yeah have you seen the bees yeah. <laughs> yeah. maybe just people in middle earth are really small and hobbits are really really small yeah maybe no or maybe no actually the moths and bees are just really big aren't they? um okay <laughs> yeah that's in the appendices isn't it so it just it says uh point one in tolkien's appendices Point one, moths and bees are really big. Point two, <laughs> the complete history of elves. <laughs> now, I'd like to point out that in my copy of Lord of the Rings, which my dad gave me when I was... Well, he's, I say gave it to me, but I think I just took it from his bookcase when I was like 14 or 15. Um, it doesn't have the appendices in it. So I never actually read the appendices. I read it once when I had to see a copy at someone's house i was just flicking through it i was like what are these <laughs> it's appendices very few people have read the appendices um i've only read them once i mean although they are worth reading if you want if you've if you've only seen the films which i find unlikely but I, I, it's definitely possible but if you've only seen the films and then you go and read the books and you question where's arwen <laughs> because i think she just gets mentioned about four times in the entire book you have to look in the appendices. <laughs> That's the bit I remember most about the appendices. There's a bit in the film, there's that really great bit when Elrond's talking to Arwen, talking about the future. Yeah. And how she's going to fade with the trees. I, I, I love that whole bit. Cause that, but that actually is what happens. And that's in the appendices. Yeah. Right. And it's really poignant, but it's, it's told in this really kind of cold, matter of fact, kind of historical record kind of way. It makes it more poignant. This is a not way, a story. Actually. These are the facts. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a history book, right? <laughs> I kind of, I, I love how it toes the line between those, those things. Like I say, I've, I've, I'm not even sure if I've read all of them. I think, yeah, like I said, I've, I've picked up the book at somebody's house. I don't think I even ended up reading them. So I, I, for years, I've been meaning to get hold of another copy or something, just, just read those appendices properly. But I do, I do remember reading that one. And I think there wasn't there something about Numenor in there as well, or something, or was that uh, Silmarillion? Yeah, no, well, it, mostly Silmarillion, but it does go into it because it, it really does touch on all sort of the uh, any, any sort of point of history which doesn't get completely fleshed out, or actually future as well with the Arwen situation that doesn't get fully fleshed out in the book. I mean, it's only a short book. I mean, you know, there isn't room for everything. Um, <laughs> that that it's it's mentioned there. I mean, the thing with the appendices is they are essentially just Tolkien's notes. I mean, that sounds like I'm belittling them. They're not. They're incredibly extensive. And they are a bit of a dry read. So what I found is when Christopher Tolkien really got into his stride of taking his father's notes and then building uh, fiction around it, and basically Christopher Tolkien finished The Silmarillion, of course, and then he went on to write an incredible set of... Uh, Stories mostly first age material. Unfinished tales, is it that? Yeah, story? unfinished tales also was uh, it, it, 
it was always a bit unfairly credited as edited by Christopher Tolkien. I mean, it's uh, J.R. Tolkien always gets the, the the credit, and rightly so. I, I mean, but to just say that Christopher Tolkien edited this work is doing a massive injustice because he really makes those books readable. You know, he took the notes and he really fleshes them out into actual novels. And I, I mean, I really like The Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales is great. And the uh, later ones, like the Ben and Luthien stuff, really, really some wonderful, wonderful stories. I need to read those. Oh, it, it's it's really incredible, really incredible stuff. Um, and but the, the the idea that all of this work was basically written by Tolkien to put on his shelf to to essentially give himself a backstory and a world in which to set this one story of Lord of the Rings is incredible. You know, right, stage one of writing a book, what should I do? I best invent a language. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> yeah. But, but, but that is... I, mean, I think the fact that he'd been thinking about all this... I mean, he, since the First World War, wasn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been, think, so he'd been thinking about it. For, and when have Lord of the Rings come out in the 50s? Yeah. So he'd been thinking about this stuff for the best part of 40 years. Um, and I think that's, you know, famously, he just sat down and started writing... Um, Lord of the Rings and the whole thing just flowed out and he didn't know where he was going half the time but it just carried on you know he wrote this unbelievably well connected and well constructed story I think what allowed him to do that was the fact that the world was there already. yeah absolutely you know and, he, and it was just him exploring it and all these amazing things um, came out of it yeah I mean it's funny because I remember I read The Hobbit when I was young and I thought it was quite good it didn't blow me away I'll, I'll be honest and I've read it again since as an adult and it's just, I just see that as kind of like a fun, and this might be sacrilege to some people listening to this, but I, I see it as like a kind of fun story with loads of great ideas in it. Yeah. And uh, it's actually really well written, I think. But then I think Lord of the Rings is like another kind of, no, it's just some amazing work of art, I think. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think you've got to remember with The Hobbit is, I mean, I agree. It's just a nice story, which is why I still don't think the films work very well because they tried to make the films into this this epic work well so actually they should have just made it a nice sort of short sort of fantasy film about about a nice a nice story about hobbits um one thing which is interesting about the hobbit though is that it was retconned by tolkien after he wrote lord of the rings so he went back that whole riddles in the dark section where bilbo hold on, hold on. he didn't call it retconned <laughs> <laughs> that means going back and rewriting yeah, or fixing something that was already published. Is that what um, it is? Yeah, it stands for... Uh, <laughs> what does it stand for? <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to look it up. Retrospectively, retrospective conversion. Retrospective... Um, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to get there, right? It's got to be retrospectively or retrospective, right? And con must be... How I be converted? Hmm... Am I wrong on both counts? <laughs> well, I found descriptions of what it is. So we, we know what it is, but I, I thought it actually stood for something. It must do. Retroactive continuity. Retroactive continuity. Retroactive continuity. Okay. Not retrospective. No. It wasn't looking back and reviewing. <laughs> 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 Your Hobbit retrospective. Um... So he went back and added the Riddles in the Dark chapter, but I don't think it's the whole chapter, but basically about Gollum 
Gollum and the Ring. The basically the ring in the original Hobbit was just a magic ring, and mm. I. Yeah, I, well, I, I think that I think that's the version I read because again, I think I took my dad's original copy. Which oh he had. wow, if you've got that, that's really something because I think it was added pretty quickly after the release of. Uh, oh, okay, right. Movies. He's not that old. <laughs> so the Hobbit, <laughs> the Hobbit came out in the thirties. I want to say, did it? Nineteen thirties. If you say so, <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, no, my my dad would have got his copy in the fifties. So, or maybe the 60s. But I'm presuming the copy he bought was already in existence. So it could have been an older book. It could be. I, I, I'll have to look up. I, I don't think it's, it's an original. It's <laughs> probably worth a fair few bucks. Yeah, and you just hoiked it off of the bookcase. Bye! <laughs> Yoink! He made me answer some riddles, and I outsmarted him, <laughs> and I took the book away. <laughs> and he said there's a long story about me in that book no okay um um okay we have gone off on a tangent and as we said we never do that so the, the funny thing is what set us off going on that tangent was the fact was us talking about us not having gone off on a tangent <laughs> i think um we, we were talking about landreval yes yes we were landreval eagles well, yeah, I think we said enough. Didn't we? I mean, he's good if you can afford him. I, to be honest, as much as I love the Eagle decks, I don't play him that often. Uh, he's He is expensive. And as I think I've mentioned in the past, I do try my absolute best just to keep my heroes alive. I think most players probably do. <laughs> yeah, it's a good tactic. <laughs> if you are starting out, try and keep your heroes alive. If your hero does get destroyed, but then you bring your hero back with Landro. I'm assuming that all of the resources and attachments and that stuff disappear from the hero or do, or do they stay? The resources don't. All the damage is gone apart from one damage token. And, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that with absolute authority, but I'm just because I'm reading through the card. And the card says, after a hero card is destroyed, so it's already happened, the hero has been destroyed, he's gone. He's off the table, so therefore all his resources are gone. And all his damage is gone. What about his attachments? Gone. Yeah, because he's been destroyed. So after he's destroyed, return Landreville to your hand to put that hero back into play. So in order to put it back into play, he must have left play. And then when you leave play, you lose all your attachments and all your uh, resources. So when Landreville comes down to grab you, all your your money pouch falls out your pocket. Yep. Your Citadel plate ends up stuck on the talons of Landreville. Yep. <laughs> and your unexpected courage <laughs> is, is you just lost your bravery <laughs> expected cowardice and weirdly you're slightly healed as well <laughs> well yes <laughs> well not necessarily well yes because chances are you've had got more than one damage on you because you've just died yeah but you might have zero damage and then taking some massive hit yeah okay because you could potentially if you've got Landreval you could do that obviously tactically you can do that you can say right i'm going to defend or take an undefended attack this go knowing that i've got landreval in my hand to bring back that character yeah or, or, or what have you well not in your hand on the table but yeah on the table on the table yeah i guess you could sn- you could sneak attack him yes you could Ah, nice. So, oh, hello, <laughs> hello, Landreval. So, during 
the combat phase. You're about to go from, I'd like to protect my hair as much as possible, to be completely cavalier. I'll let him be killed four times a go. <laughs> no, I'm going to play as two player. I'm going to let one of your heroes die. <laughs> oh, God. Because it just says after a hero card is destroyed. No, but you're right. This is actually very interesting. You could sneak attack him in in the combat phase. Yeah. You could defend with him. You can even defend across the table with him because he's sentinel. Then, if a hero is destroyed, Landerville goes back to your hand, which he was going to do anyway, and the hero comes back. That's brilliant. Yeah. He's going in my deck. <laughs> so so if it's just useful just to keep a sneak attack and a Landreville, just leave them in your deck. In your hand, rather, once you've got them for emergencies. If you think your hero is gonna you're gonna need to do that at some point. As you can only do it limit once per a game, you could even do it just purely like on purpose and then put him under Eagles of the Misty Mountains rather than putting him back in your hand. That's true, yeah. That's great. I mean, I love how these Eagles cards work together. So you can sneak attack him in, save your hero, and put him back into Eagles of Misty Mountains. Yeah. All in one go, with one sneak attack. Yeah. Cost of one. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so this is why I always (laughs) like to make an Eagles deck tactics with leadership, Leadership. because then you've got the resources to pay for these expensive cards, and you get sneak attack. This is just, it's just a stunning combination. Okay, well, that's all the allies. But how many more do you need? I mean, what a collection of um, feathered friends. <laughs> and one beekeeper. <laughs> and an, <laughs> a mocking toque. No, but that's an attachment. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, that's an attachment. So let's do the other attachment, shall we? I mean, because it's still, it's still eagles. So we've got two more attachments. One of them is quite pricey. One of them is as cheap as you can get. Do you want me to read them through? Go for it. Okay, let's, we'll start with the cheapest again. I think this is the way we're doing it in the, <laughs> the Eagles for some reason. And it's a cost of zero. Attachment, born aloft. So it's a condition attached to an ally. So an ally, not a hero. Action, discard born aloft from play to return attached ally to its owner's hand. So this means that if you've got something like, I don't know, let's say, for example, Vassal of a Windlord, tax for free, after he's got a forced effect, as a reminder, after an attack in which Vassal of a Windlord attacked resolves, discard Vassal of a Windlord from play. So if you've got Eagles of Misty Mountains out, you can put them on there. If you've got Born Aloft attached to him, you can bring him back to your hand. And then you can bring him back out again, just for the cost of one. Yeah. And you can do that for any of the Eagles that leave play. So really, really useful card if you want to reuse Eagles, Eagle effects uh, multiple times before adding them to the Misty uh, Eagles of the Misty Mountains. Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, what I like to do with Born Aloft is get it onto the Descendant of Thorador because then you're guaranteed to get your two damage when he jumps in and out. And then you can just rinse and repeat if you happen to have more Born Alofts and a pile of cash. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a great card. I mean, the great thing about Born Aloft is it allows access to all these sort of possibilities of combinations. So, yeah, there's, there's no real one way to use it. But you can find lots of interesting ways to use it when you attach them to eagles. You can also attach it to Gandalf. It's just a... 
Just saying, doesn't have to be an eagle. Oh, of course, yeah. Mm. That's got me thinking now. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I haven't used eagles as much as as you could self. I've only actually done a couple of quests with um, with a, with a focus, I should say, on on eagles. So I haven't explored the cards as much. I kind of know how they work and seen most of them in action. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of that yet. Yeah, so Born Aloft, I often play in a non-eagle deck, you know, just for, like I said, you can just keep bouncing Gandalf back and forth. Very useful. If you don't have um, Sneak Attack, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, so what was the other attachment? Now, the other attachment has got a cost of three, and it's support of the eagles, and it's a boon. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. It's a real boon. Isn't it just... (laughs) You've got the support of eagles. <laughs> Things are looking up. <laughs> and uh, so what does this do? So you can attach it to a tactics hero. And its action is exhaust support of eagles to choose an eagle ally. Until the end of the phase, attached hero adds that ally's attack or shield. Choose one to its own. Yeah. So you, you basically get an eagle ally to come and help you defend or fight whatever it is you're doing. Now, you can also use that, I guess, with Eagles of Misty Mountains. Absolutely. So you can get all of the Eagles together to attack some guy in one go and batter somebody, you know. Well, it's, it's, yeah, so so basically, well, you, the Eagles themselves aren't attacking, so it's your, your, or defending. It's still your hero which is doing the business. It's just that you add that ally's attack or defense to that hero. So you you can just create a monster hero because you don't even have to exhaust the eagle ally that you're choosing you only have to exhaust the attachment which is attached to the hero so it means you only get to do it once of course because the attachment is exhausted but it means that if you have eagles of the misty mountains with say three attachments and you're hitting with Gimli for i don't know what let's say five because <laughs> he's got some damage on him you could basically exhaust support of the eagles add the Eagles of the Mount- Misty Mountains attack to Gimli, which at that point would also be five. Gimli's hitting for ten. It's amazing. And then a subsequent attack, would you could then use the Eagles of the Misty Mountains hitting for five. Yeah. Or you could use them both on one enemy and attack for 15. Yes. Yes, you can. So if you've got some really nasty, I don't know, troll or a troll. whatever, one of those big nasty enemies, you can probably, yeah, get rid of them all in... Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, well, it's in fact, if you've got a couple of heroes with uh, support of the eagles on there. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's great. I, I, this card is sensational in combination with Eagles of the Misty Mountains. Oh, boy. Oh, but it's also incredible with the cheapos, with the Vassal of the Wind Lord and the, and the Wind Guardian, because, you know, you can suddenly just add four defense to a hero because you've got Wing Guardian on the table, and that means you don't have to worry about the Wing Guardian of the Vassal of the Windlord leaving play. Exactly, yeah. You just still get their effects. I mean, oh, it's so universally helpful. There are so many possibilities. It's wonderful. That's really well designed, isn't it? The whole Eagles thing. Just, just a handful of cards like this. What have we talked about so far? Seven cards. And you can see just a number of combinations of, of things you can do and the different ways you can use them. It's great. Really, really good stuff. It's terrific. It's absolutely amazing. Um, okay, so that's the attachment. So we've got a couple of events to go through. So we've got another free one. Oh, yes. 
Um, so this is um, got two free ones. What? So this is Melendor's flight, and it costs nothing. And its action says: choose an eagle ally, return that character to its owner's hand. Okay, simple. Probably doesn't need much discussion. We now know why it's important or useful, I should say, to be able to bring uh, eagles out of play because it's not just about putting it back in your hand. There's really nothing more to say. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the other free one? Well, hold a minute. Oh, no. So this one. Yeah, go on. So you'd use this... um, so if Wing Guardian, for example, you you defended with, but instead of then discarding Wing Guardian, you can just bring it back into your hand. You could do. Or That's basically... Basically, it's an event version of Born Aloft. So Born Aloft is an attachment which you can then discard it and that ally comes back to your hand. This one is an event that you can basically pick and choose which ally. So in a way, it's more powerful than Born yeah, Aloft. But it has to be an eagle, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so in that respect, it's less powerful. But in an eagle deck, yeah, you really want to be bouncing your eagles around, you know, because it's it's not just for like you say the Wind Guardian and the Vassal of the Wind Lord to save them going to the discard pile. You can use it for Descendant and Thorador. You could to get the two damage into the uh, staging area. You can use it on anything to put it under the eagles of the Misty Mountains. So, you know, perhaps and this has happened to me in the past. I've managed to get Wind Guardians out, but actually I didn't need defenders. I needed attackers, and the Vassals of the Wind Lord weren't showing up. So. It, turns out to be much more useful to get those cards out of play and under my uh, Eagles of the Misty Mountains and do it that way to actually get some uh, get some attacking power on the table. You know, so you can balance your deck as you see fit. That's exactly it. You can see the power of, depending on what order the cards come out and what you can afford, you can kind of make things work in different ways if you're smart about the, uh, the different effects they have. So, yeah. Okay. The other zero cost event is the eagles the eagles are coming the eagles are coming that's weird because we've said that several times and it's actually the name (laughs) of a card it's very hard to say the eagles are coming in a normal voice (laughs) to be fair it does have an exclamation point at the end of it it does it does doesn't it uh which therefore (laughs) it forces you No, but no, actually, you know what? I'd reverse that and say even the people making the game couldn't say it in a normal voice. But we have to put an exclamation mark on They it. intended to say <laughs> the Eagles are coming. No, but they couldn't. But then every time they said, how's that card coming on? Which card? The Eagles are coming. Yeah. <laughs> you actually managed to say it quite normally a minute ago. That must have caused some kind of weird yeah, yeah. shudder it, inside. It, it, it hurt. It hurt. <laughs> so what happens when said Eagles... Do indeed arrive. <laughs> okay. So it's got a cost of naught. It's an eagle. No, cost of naught. Cost of naught. What? A strong naught. Zero. Why, is, why has naught tickled you? What? It's, 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 a, it's a word. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a word. What does that cost? It costs naught. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excuse me, barkeep. Could I have a glass of water, please? How much do I need to pay you? Nothing, sir. This water costs naught. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say this water costs zero. <laughs> it's no less ridiculous. 
How much is that? It's zero. And no one's going to say that. You're more likely to say zero. Zero, zero resources or it's free. Yeah, but that's a barkeep. You're talking about barkeep. Okay. A barkeep or a beekeep? A beekeep would say naught. Not zero. How many bees have you got there? Hundreds. <laughs> and they're massive. It's naught of your business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so cost of a cost, a cost of nothing. <laughs> uh, it's an eagle, apparently. That's what it says. And the action is search for top five cards of your deck for any number of eagle cards and add them to your hand. Shuffle the other cards back into your deck. So if you have an eagle heavy deck. You can get up to five cards into your hand in one go for a cost of naught. Yeah. So it's a very powerful card. It's just such a useful one to have just to kickstart things or move things along swiftly when when required. I would like to point out, though, that it does mean that the card itself needs to have an eagle trait. So as this event does, so this event works on itself, so that would come into your hand. Any of the allies, they're all eagles. But things like Born Aloft, Support of the Eagles, and um, Manildor's Flight, they don't have the eagle trait, so they can't come into your hand, unfortunately. And that also goes for the last event, which we'll come to in a second. But just, so that's why it says eagle on here, which I, I kind of made fun of a second ago, but actually, you can get this card, draw five, if you've got one of these in there, so you can do it again. Absolutely. So you could end up, if you had, if, if you know, if you had the, well, I guess you could maximize in one go. You could get what's that? Four, four, five. You could get um, thirteen cards into your hand in one go. Wow! Actually, through that, you're feeling lucky. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are your odds on that? Better than naught. <laughs> I'd give it a naught. <laughs> okay. Do you want to read the last event? Go ahead. Oh, do I want to read it, or do you want to read it? One of us has got to read it. I can read it if you like, or I don't mind. I'll read it. I've got a feeling you'd like to read this. <laughs> okay. Oh, can, can I just say how much it costs? Please. It costs a pear. <laughs> Not for fruit. <laughs> okay, so this is the final event. It costs a brace. A, a brace. <laughs> a brace of resources. <laughs> There's only one way to spend a brace of resources. <laughs> and that's on a stew. Um, anyway, and it's called To the Eerie. And it has a response. After an ally is destroyed, important, exhaust one eagle character to move that ally from the discard pile to its owner's hand. So why I said that destroyed is important. Um, this is not a card about bouncing eagles in and out. This is... Basically, yeah, this is this is a very powerful event for bringing any ally out of your discard pile. Uh, but the ally has to be destroyed. So we're not talking about anything like um, Gandalf leaving play or anything coming back to your hand. It has to be, um, and it has it can't be about anything leaving play. It has to actually be uh, be killed, and then you have to exhaust an eagle to get that ally back. So again, you can it, your mind just starts just going through all these cards in one go your mind just starts calculating all these things you know straight away there you can see the value of 
support of the Eagles. So if you're using someone like Vassal of the Windlord, you know, using its free attack, say, through support of the Eagles, so through a hero, you're not exhausting Vassal of the Windlord itself unless you want to. So you can keep him readied, and then Tavieri is always going to be a possibility for you. So, so there are so many, that's just one aspect, right? there are so many ways these cards combine. It's, um, yeah, it, it's just, this just makes me want to go and put together an eagle deck immediately and <laughs> go and play it. Well, I, I mean, you know, you know I'm a fan. I mean, the number of times we've been chatting, you said, uh, and I say, oh, I put a new deck together. And you say, oh, really, what, what, what deck have you made? And I go, eagles. <laughs> it's eagle-based. <laughs> it's another eagles deck. And then I'll make a deck which isn't eagle-based, and it will still have eagles in it. Yeah, you, you can't resist, can you? <laughs> um, I just think they work so well. I mean, this is the first time in the game to this point that you really start to see synergy amongst the uh, amongst the cards, like really true synergy. Yeah, in, in, a, in a big in a big way, like a, in a kind of, use a volume of cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can really see how all these cards can work together, and it's uh, and it's just a sight to behold if you can really get it going. Yeah, and, and I haven't. So I think, you know what my problem is with this? I don't think I've ever truly committed to doing a complete eagle deck. And so what? how many cards have we got? So it's 12. Uh, well, no, 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 no. It's, it's 10, 10, 10 eagles. So, so it's 30. You can have 30 eagle cards yep. in your hand. So it's only another 12. Well, so that's three-fifths of your deck minimum. Um, so I don't think I ever put together a deck where I use all 30. But straight away, looking at these, well, I say straight away, just working through these now, it really makes me think, okay, I've missed so many obvious synergies here that actually the best way to do it is just whack all 30 in, I guess, especially at the beginning, get them all in, get the rest of it to support what the Eagles are doing, I guess. If you're pl- playing uh, with, and you, you mentioned you play a, a lot of leadership in conjunction with this because of the expense of some of the of the cards yeah mostly because of the cost if you if you need to find a way to pay for it you don't want to worry about finding clever combinations and this is the the quickest and easiest way is to play with leadership and yeah you know so i guess the other thing to bear in mind i guess just looking at this is yeah superbly powerful just from what we've discussed so far there's probably a whole bunch of things i've not thought of either which will come and you know come obvious once to start really start using them i guess they're not very questy no so I think so that you, I guess you do need to have some kind of balance, depending on the quest, of course. But I guess you have to have some kind of balance. Uh, leadership's not bad at questing, but you might need to put in a couple of sort of questy bits and bobs into your deck just to make up for that, perhaps. I think the only ones who can really quest for anything significant are the Eagles of the Misty Mountains who quest for two. But then you're you know you really want to be using them for attacking and defending by the yeah. by the looks of things. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's not eagles do not solve the game, but they are great fun to play if you if you have a quest which involves uh, quite a lot of combat. Yeah, but the theming is so good. I mean, so basically they come in and out, they attack, they defend, they save you, they save people. Yeah, uh, it's just it's exactly what they do. It's yeah. just so well thought through. Inside. These are the kind of things that pleased me greatly playing this game <laughs> i can see from your face <laughs> oh, no, no, you, it's, you're delighted <laughs> I, i'll tell you what it's, yeah it does delight me and it's because there's once this happens in this game and i think it was what the first thing that drew me into this game we talked about this in the first couple of episodes that we did i think um was that the people who made this clearly 
I'm really into the Lord of the Rings, obviously, but I really understand the world and how it operates. And then to see that manifest through that sort of clever design in the game is really, uh, it's really wonderful. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I'm just itching to play, play, uh, <laughs> have a go with these guys there. Well, we have to finish the podcast first, and then you can go and play. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say. I mean, I love making Eagles decks. I mean, yeah, it's, it's that's it. They just play so well. And, and if you've never made an Eagles deck, and the only thing I'd say is that they did drip feed these cards throughout the entire uh, cycle. So you don't get all these combinations until the cycle is finished, if you're playing progressively. And that's why I always recommend that once you finish playing progressively through a cycle is to see what's been released, and then go back and play that entire cycle again with the whole pool of that cycle because you come at the quest in a completely different way because you then have all these possibilities and I, I highly recommend you do that. Yeah, I think I'll definitely back you up on that because I followed that advice which you gave, but I've, I've never really got around to doing that properly with the Eagles. I think I did use bits and bobs as they were drip-fed and never really understood the true power of having all these out together. Um, I have done that with other things, and maybe I won't talk about them now. I don't know we'll talk about them in, in future episodes. I've done that with other kind of collections of cards, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I guess the Eagles are really the first ones you get a sort of collection of in a fairly short space of time that you can utilize. And are there, in this cycle, are, are all of the Eagle cards in Tactics? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm almost certain they are. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it makes it really easy for a new player to start building a deck. I mean, you just grab them all and chuck them in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> one thing I will, um, just a side note, back to support of the Eagles, it says attached to a tactics hero. It has a little tactics symbol there. Uh, just going back to what we said a couple of episodes ago about the song of battle, that it gives your hero the tactics resource icon. That would also apply. I mean, I did mention it at the time. But if you made a leadership hero or a spirit hero tactics by putting on that song, then support of the Eagles would subsequently affect that hero. So that's just a prime example of that that we discussed a couple of episodes back. Yeah, good point. Yep. Okay, just before we move on to our regular parts of the show, the uh, the fact of the week and the uh, sharing the love, I just want to quickly make one point. And we can't go off on a big tangent on this, but I just before anything comes up in the forums or anything... The Eagles could not have just flown the ring to Mordor. (laughs) You see this in the internet all the time and it grinds my gears. Right. Now, you give the ring to Gua here, let's say. He flies over there with his friends. Sauron goes, what's that? Oh, a load of eagles. Wait a minute. I can sense my ring. I'll send out the winged ring race. Oh, all the eagles are dead. Sauron's got the ring. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Do people say that? Oh yeah, no, no, because it's it's like a meme, oh, you know. It's like uh, the, the Lord no. of the Rings could have been over in ten minutes, and we just flew there because, of course, you see uh, Frodo and Sam get saved, well, get picked up by um, by Gandalf with the eagles at the end. Um, but actually, that's also an important point. The only reason they're able to do that is that Sauron's gaze is being drawn away to the Black Gate by Aragorn. So exactly, you know, you can't just you can't just fly to, uh, <laughs> you know. Oh, oh, and, oh. and also, the other thing I always thought about that as well, I mean, it, it didn't really cross my mind about 
that to be honest but maybe that's because I, I just didn't think laterally enough about it <laughs> but um the other thing is for me the eagles have always been a bit like the ants and some other things in the whole of middle earth which is there are, it, it it's a real mystery about some of the motivations of yep. some of these like, like that whole bit about like that's one of my favorite things in the story was the ants mm-hmm. and how um you know, it seemed ridiculous to Mary particularly that, you know, says, come on, this is affecting everybody. You've got to get on board. But no, these are, you know, these are very different creatures. These are old, slow creatures who've seen it all and the ups and downs. And they're quite almost senile in some ways about the world because they've been around for so long. Um, and what are they, you know, they don't pick size. And I've, I always felt the eagles had that mysterious kind of... Um, uh, I don't think they're always a good hey, let's go and save the good guys. I don't think that was the deal with the Eagles. I, I never got that impression anyway. They're quite neutral, I think, in many ways. I think you're absolutely right. Now, I'm, I'm struggling to remember if this is in The Hobbit or in uh, Lord of the Rings, but there is a part of that where the Eagles actually s- they say that they don't want to get involved because they are worried for themselves, which, I mean, and that's, a, you know it's kind of what we're saying so so yeah they're they're concerned with them their own race which is what's best for our for our people exactly um yeah. so it's not like gandalf would go oh i've got this magic ring can you fly it to <laughs> mount doom please <laughs> yeah and um so ridiculous <laughs> and, and drop it into uh, oh and by the way can you try and find a gap in the volcanic landscape you <laughs> giant eagle <laughs> slip in there <laughs> or just just give me a lift i'll do it okay <laughs> you got caught for now <laughs> oh it, it it annoys me so much when people come back they think they're being so clever and oh it's ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay you know that's one good thing about lockdown is i don't have to go to ridiculous dinner parties where people think they're being <laughs> smart when they go oh you like lord of the rings why didn't they just fly the ring there I'll tell you why, and then the next yeah. thing you know, how long you got? <laughs> next thing you know, I'm being shuttled into a taxi. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> the guy's obviously an idiot. <laughs> it's my. That's my father. <laughs> and I've told you this so many times before. <laughs> Humor him. Yeah. <laughs> The giant oh. eagles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. All right. So, right. Okay. I've I've said my piece. So, you you've got it off your chest. Well, yeah. For now, until <laughs> until I'm back at one of those dinner parties. Um, <laughs> unless you have anything more to say about the tactics cards from the uh, Shadows of Mirkwood cycle, I think we'll uh, we'll move on. No, I think I'm good. Yeah. Already. Okay, so now we've got our fact of the week, which is where we go through each fact in order and see if there's anything to be discussed and whether or not it will make sense or if it needs any clarification. So this week's fact goes like this. It says, question, does Dungeon Jailer shuffle guarded objectives back into the encounter deck? Now, this is very specific. So the Dungeon Jailer is an encounter card from... Dol Guldur. Yeah, from the core set, from Dol Guldur, as you said. I know this, because I read the Dol Guldur today. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and were you successful? I was. <gasps> Solo. Oh, oh, 
Okay, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't use Just Cause haircuts. <laughs> okay, no, fair enough, fair enough. Well, but but well done, well done. Um, so Dungeon Jailer, uh, I believe when he attacks, he shuffles an objective back into the encounter deck. I, it was something like no, no. It's when you quest unsuccessfully, I think. Ah, if okay, I recall. yeah. All right, but so basically, when something happens with the Dungeon Jailer on the table, then an objective goes back into the encounter deck. And the question here is, do guarded objectives go back? Uh, and the answer is yes. Dungeon Jailer will shuffle any unclaimed objective, whether or not it is guarded. So, yeah, basically this is saying... But the guard will remain. The guard will remain, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It's the, it's the worst possible outcome. The worst outcome. possible outcome. <laughs> um... Yeah, this is not much more to say about this. this. is a very, very specific fact for a very, you know, one single card in in one adventure. So, yeah, but it's uh, useful to know. Yeah, but I can imagine in in the early days, you know, when even the guys making the games are still getting to grips with certain things. I think we discussed this before. You know, if, I guess they had to address very specific problems at the beginning. Yeah, and I guess they become a little bit more general as as we go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Um, okay, well, not much more to say about that one. So. Just before we head off, it's just time to uh, have our section of Sharing the Love, where we mention other online Lord of the Rings card games resources that might be of interest to you guys out there. So this week, I would like to highlight uh, the Lord of the Rings, the card game Quest Companion. And if you're searching for this online, I believe it's under LOTR LCG Quest Companion. I don't know if that's the full address but if you google lotr lcg quest companion you'll find it and i'll also put a link in the show notes but basically this is a very handy website which also works incredibly well on mobiles and it's essentially has all the quests that you know that have been released uh through the corset all the cycles um all broken down and basically you can click on each quest and it will give you that written insert so you, if you're going back and replaying quests you can just click that and it gives you all the information it tells you which uh, encounter sets you need it will tell you if any cards have been errated and it also links to the fact so if there are any specific cards in there which have been raised in the fact they will link to it and it, it's just a handy little site to have it also has some extra things like a round sequence breakdown it has the link to the rule book you know, it's just a useful um, resource. Yeah, it also has the um, setup instructions for Conflict at the Carrick. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, but well, yeah, just in case people haven't listened to that one, <laughs> you'll know what we mean when you come to the previous episode, if you happen to skip it. <laughs> it is indeed a very confusing setup. Um, but this is great. So uh, as you've been saying that, I just looked this up on my phone. I've, do you know what? I've, I think you sent this to me ages ago, like um, a few months back when I first started properly playing. And I think I've completely forgotten about this. But yeah, it's great. So yeah, like you say, every single quest um, and all the keywords, etc. in here. It's, it looks like it's even got, and I, I probably won't, won't look at this, but it, it looks like for some of them, it's got all of the um, encounter cards as well. Just looking at it. Oh no, no, sorry, no. It's got, no. It's just it's got frequently asked questions and errata, and some of them are to do with specific encounter cards. That's yeah, what it is. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, but it's yeah, it's 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 not um, it's not it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but it's very useful. 
<laughs> that that was on my Valentine's card, actually. I was going to say that's, that's <laughs> very useful. Really good if you need to digitize defunct media. I'm your man. <laughs> um, alrighty, that about wraps it up for us for this episode. So, unless you have anything else you want to add, no, I think we've uh, covered that all in depth. That's great. Um, okay, so next episode we'll be going back to our playthrough of the quest from Shadows of Mirkwood. I'm not sure which one it is, but I've got a sneaky suspicion it might involve eagles. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Perfectly next one? timed. Is that yes, the next it one? Is. That's yeah. the next one. Yeah. Okay. okay, so with that, all it leaves me to say is thanks for listening once again and take care of that. And until next time, goodbye. Bye. Thank you.